expect me to talk? I think you can kiss your trade franchise goodbye. I admit today that I have gathered you here under false pretenses. Ladies and gentlemen and non-binary pals, you thought today we were only going to be talking about James Bond, but oh no, you are here to witness the beginning of a brand new podcast about all sorts of franchises. Franchises that are good, franchises that are bad, franchises that never really got off the ground and everything in between. We begin with Bond as the longest-running franchise in cinema history, crossing now seven decades, 25 films, a few unofficial films, video games, comic books, and numerous copies and attempted spin-offs. You can kiss your franchise goodbye, Mark and Brooke. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Hello, everybody. I say as I, I stroke my kitty and... <laughs> Play with my pinky ring. <laughs> yes, uh, welcome to this podcast. I am your master of mayhem, Andy Wilson, uh, movie critic, TV critic with Bleeding Cool, graphic policy, and all various and sundry other places across the internet. Uh, and I've gathered uh, two henchmen and henchmen henchwomen with me here today. Uh, go ahead and introduce yourselves. I am Mark. I live in San Antonio, Texas. I am the Pedro Armandaris of this group for James Bond reasons. Uh, and I've loved James Bond ever since I was a kid. I have very little things that I have in common with my dad or that we bonded over. But James Bond, ironically, is one of those things. And I say ironically because my dad's a lay, a lay minister. So like he should have no business liking any James Bond movie. But he's super passionate about it. And it's his fault that I'm passionate about James Bond as well. As a matter of fact, we still go anytime there's a new uh, James Bond movie. That's the only time he goes to the movies. And that's the only time he asks me to take him anywhere. So, and yes, we are looking forward to seeing the brand new uh, James Bond movie. So I'm looking forward to discussing the uh, movies and ranking them and all that other cool stuff. And I'm Brookheim. Um, I come to you from all the internet places under just my name, Brookheim, and I love James Bond. I didn't even tell you guys this, but did you know that I am James Bond? Like, No. Are you really? So I'm not going to tell you which digits of my social security number are 007, but uh. my social security number is 007. So everyone else be jealous because it's a true thing, and that's just who I am. I love James Bond. I, I cannot tell you the first time I watched a James Bond movie because it's just always been a part of my cinema knowledge experience. Um, I am a proclaimed feminist and mother, and I work as a sex therapist to help people to overcome their sexual trauma and um, shame that they've been given growing up. And so the Bond movies have a very uh, double-edged <laughs> love in my life. Um, and and I do find I do find them quite interesting and my affection towards them quite interesting, but I love them. I love everything about James Bond and that's that's who I am. I'm, I'm your, your personal And one bond. of the reasons... Yeah, I wanted to have both of you on here uh, for the very reason that that 
the one thing that I love most about Mark is that we disagree. We agree about on about 90% of things, but the 10% of stuff we disagree on, oh, yeah. we will go to the mattresses <laughs> on <Yeah>. it. <laughs> And it gets fun. <laughs> and uh, so I look forward to that because I think that we'll we'll both have very different takes on this, even though we both love Bond and Brooke as uh, that all important um, female perspective. I, as much as I love Mark, you ain't um, no girl. Our, our previous co-host. I ain't no girl. No. Our previous co-host Melissa Martinez uh, would say that you know we would just sort of bro out about <laughs> stuff, and that is true. <laughs> and uh, so um, I, I definitely need like another perspective to make sure this isn't just uh, you know the Chris Farley show from Saturday Night Live. Hey, Mark, remember when James Bond <laughs> punched awesome. the shark? That was cool, man. Well, I am happy cool. and honored to be here. Cool. Um, I know so, I don't speak um, for all women, but I do speak for myself. And I, I, yeah, like I said, I have a very double-edged uh, love for Mr. Bond. So that's interesting. You brought up you can't pinpoint a time when you saw your first Bond. Um, I actually can. Um, Same here. I, I have very 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 clear memories of seeing never say never again at the drive-in uh in 1983 now my parents claim that they took me to see return of the jedi in the theaters i do not remember return of the jedi and star wars is my favorite thing ever anyone who knows me knows that i love this but the first movie i ever remember seeing is Sean Connery and Never Say Never Again, which is weird. That is so interesting to me because, and you know my history with Star Wars, I remember seeing Star Wars in the theater, but I couldn't remember the movies to the point at which when I met you in high school, I was essentially introduced slash reintroduced to them because I had no cognitive memory of them at all. Yeah. That was fun. I was like, oh, Star Wars Virgin, and, Star Wars Virgin. Right. Let's watch all of them. And I had, I had actually seen them, but I couldn't remember any of them. But Bond, on the other hand, I don't remember when I saw it first. And it is like, like for you, Star Wars is like, it's just been a part of my life always. And I've always watched the Bond movies. I've like just had them as a part of my life. So that's really interesting that I can remember Star Wars, but didn't remember it. As like story wise, but can't remember the first Bond I saw, but I I love it. And then and then I have you know my my actual getting into Bond uh, happened when Goldeneye came out, and I remember that being the first Bond I was actually like really cognizant of, um, and going to see in the theater and being like, oh, this is interesting. And then wanting to go back and uh, watch all of the earlier movies. I had a roommate in college who had all the DVDs. So uh, I ended up watching most of them. But I didn't end up seeing all of them uh, until 2012 when uh, before Skyfall came out. I said, okay, I'm going to go back and the half dozen of these that I've never seen. I'm going to binge all of them in a month. I'm going to write about them uh, on on a website I was writing for at the time, and uh, 
that's how we're going to do that. And I, I think both of those moments are sort of when I like sort of leveled up my my James Bond fandom. I remember um, that. Yeah. I remember was, uh, uh, we we argued about who the best Bond was. Indeed. And, <laughs> you know, it's funny that uh, I had the same Bond origin story as you do, same year, different movie. And it's sad that you started with the worst Bond movie ever, in my opinion. GoldenEye? Anyway. No, 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 no. You said you started- Oh, with Never Say Never, never Again. Never Say Never Again. That was just, oh okay. my God, that was horrible. But I was in the first grade- and I wanted to see uh, Return of the Jedi, and my dad was like, no, that's trash, it's junk, I'm not going to take you to go see those movies. So what does he do? He takes us to go see Octopussy, because apparently that's appropriate for a first grader. I agree with your dad. <laughs> my dad's crazy. <laughs> he, he thought Star Wars was junk, but Octopussy was the best. Anyway... Uh, but I, I, I now remember being fascinated with everything in this movie. Now I see it for what it is, just high camp like crazy. But because of that, and, and because I fell in love with the movie and the character, for the longest time, Roger Moore was my James Bond. And it wasn't until I, I grew a little... Yeah, dude, it, it was. And it wasn't until I got a little older and I started getting access to these things called DVDs to where I fully appreciated uh, Mr. Connery for what he brought. And, you know, he kind of became the iconic James Bond for me. And then, of course, I discovered James Lazenby, and my opinion changed. So it's changed quite a bit. But I started off with Roger Moore, and, like, that dude was my Bond. But, yeah, that was back in when I was in the first grade. Jeez, that was a long time ago. Wow. Octopussy. That <laughs> it's we'll we'll get to ranking our our worst Bond movies, but that is um in my that's, that's in my special. bottom tier. <laughs> wow. I'm just surprised you um, had to argue over who the best Bond was because there's only one. <laughs> ooh, we're, oh, well, that's gonna be exciting. <laughs> well, I don't. Should we should we just delve into that or Ed, Brooke? I don't know if you have a similar story about sort of like. Yeah, how your your fandom sort of waxed and waned. I mean, uh, it's weird to me that you guys, I don't know. It just, every, there's always a James Bond marathon on New Year's Eve. Like, do you guys not watch that? Well, not in Texas. No. It was in Texas, in Amarillo. I was in Amarillo. And see, every year I would just go through and like, they'd start with Dr. No. And they'd go no all way. the way through the most current. Yes. That's cool. I'm like AMC. Oh, like every well, year. we couldn't afford cable. <laughs> we were very poor, Brooke. <laughs> you, I don't, you, were, you were in the north part of Texas. I was in the southernmost part of Texas. <laughs> no, poverty. Like I'm trying to think. I don't know that we had cable. I, there was just, there's like, maybe it was PBS. I don't know. But you could just turn it on. And maybe it's because I didn't have friends like you guys had. I don't know. But I would sit at home. Brooke, you Mr. were my friends. What are you talking about? <laughs> you were my friends. <laughs> <laughs> you know you know what i mean um no but i would just i remember like they would start and you could just turn it on and there would be sean connery driving his little blue convertible we didn't have the mountains we had that with star wars uh every year That's uh so new weird. year's and uh fourth of july they would run all the star wars and that's how i got to see them because i never got to see them in the theater because my dad was such a jerk about it but James Bond would show up every once in a while on one of the networks, but never 
there was never a, a, a marathon of James Bond movies. Okay, so I just like, I'm going to call myself out here for a minute. Um, my daughter is sitting next to me, and apparently I am not as good of a parent as any of our parents because she just looked at me and said, "Who's James Bond?" So <laughs> I've got some catching, but. In in my defense, as you said, she's in second grade. I don't know that octopus yeah. is the most appropriate thing. So, but we'll we'll definitely get her. I, I was uh, I was rewatching last night one of the James Bond movies because I was like, hey, I don't remember certain parts. I'm going to rewatch. And my daughter was next to me, and uh, there's this one scene where James Bond just up and slaps uh, the woman that he's with. Oh my gosh! <laughs> like like nothing, and I'm like. Shit, <laughs> maybe maybe I shouldn't be watching this with her. So yeah, I try to go play this Minecraft. Is... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, this is what I think is so interesting about James Bond, and it's why I really wanted to talk about it because it has been so long running, and because it is this weird cultural artifact of the Cold War. And the 1950s and 1960s, that's like the origin of the character. But through every decade, Bond has changed and has reflected the time that that he was in. And Bond changed a lot in the 90s in the post-Cold War era, changed a lot like post 9-11. And now we have this like weird deconstructed post-modern Bond in Daniel Craig and it's like, is what is with this character? Is he is he still worthwhile? And and one of the things like I I thought Spectre was kind of a middling movie, but um one of the things I thought was so interesting was when Andrew Scott's character was like, Oh, you know, the double O program's archaic. We we can do all of this with AI and drones, and Ray Fines as M is like, no. You need that man in the field. You need that man who knows whether to pull the trigger or not. And I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. Like, what is that true? And and should we should we allow someone to run around for you know for queen and country with a license to kill to do you know basically be in service of British imperialism? I, I <laughs> and. You know, it's 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 just an interesting question, and we're coming to the end of the Daniel Craig era. There is going to be some sort of soft Bond reboot, and where does that leave us post twenty twenty? I I think there's always going to be a need for analog in a digital world, and I'm doing a weird analogy here, but there's always going to be a need to have you know shoes on the ground, uh, whether we like it or not. You can't just fully depend on the digital world. Uh, we've been hacked like crazy. Our government's been hacked. Our elections were hacked. So, like, mm-hmm. we, we can't fully just depend on that. There has to be a certain level. There has to be spies involved in the security of our nation or whatever nation you live in. There's there's going to be some uh, clandestine movement. There has to be. So, is he is 007 still necessary? I think he is. Does it have to be a he? I think is a bigger question. Uh, and of course not, you know, it doesn't have to be a he, but you know, this is a whole other conversation. No, because I am Bond. I, I, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you are Bond. And and, I, I think even more interesting is the question is, is, does that person need to run around with a vodka martini and drive sports cars and, uh, 
you know, be that sort of gentleman spy. Yes. Um, because, you know, because I agree. Yes. Uh, humanity. Yeah. Humanity is stupid and they can be easy manipulated and uh, machines cannot manipulate humans yet. So you need that physical presence. You need somebody to, you know, razzle and dazzle people into saying state secrets. Uh, like a certain general in the United States uh, spilled secrets to his mistress. Uh, you you, you kind of need that still uh, to play this clandestine game. Uh, and I don't think we're ever going to be done with that. Interesting. So, okay. So here's, here's my question then. And, and I think this is okay. These are three questions actually that I want to answer through the course of this podcast series, however many episodes this is going to take. Are the James Bond movies good or bad? Is Bond a good guy or a bad guy? And why do we still care? Okay, and so I, I think we've started to talk about the why do we still care? Like that we need the analog, we need the shoe leather. Sorry, Brooke, I interrupted you. No, I was interrupting you. My apologies. Um are we going just off of the movies or are we going off of the original books as well? I'll bring it all oh, in. Good. Yeah. You know, this is this is where I want to talk about franchises as something larger than yes, there are movies, but there's other So stuff if we too. go back to the the actual books themselves, right? And and of course, like I'm coming at this from like Bond and the the women of Bond. Um the women were written very strongly in the original books. And with much purpose. I mean, they obviously filled their roles as, as the women of bond, but they also were very, very strong. Like honey Ryder was an orphan who had been raped, but who also came in and saved bond when he had been knocked unconscious. And so like they had a lot of strength and purpose to them. And the books themselves were written very progressively for the period of that time. And I, feel like that is something that's really important to first let people know that there are books and second um, to bring up the way that it was originally written and intended because Bond and the beginning and birth of the franchise of Bond started from a very progressive place of strength of women who were financially and emotionally independent of men and who had the ability to be active players in the story. And I think that that's super important to, to bring out. I know the seventies, like pretty much anything that happened in the seventies with bond was like garbage for women. But um, outside of that, like they have been portrayed in, you know, the traditional sexy bikini wearing, like man serving role, but also as really important, strong, independent women who, um, had to very much um, hold their own. And I I think that that's part of my like double-edged love for, for Bond is like they were portrayed in a specific way, but they were also um, really amazing characters on a, on a different level. And I think that each era showed that progressively as they could. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. You know what? I, I agree with the book part. Uh, Ian Fleming's books are a lot more Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy than they are what we ended up getting with 007. And that's why I right. like that's why I like Doctor No so much because I love yes, Doctor No. That's as closest as you get to Ian Fleming's actual work. And then it progressively gets more 
campy and, you know, insane. Um, so, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Uh, the downside to early Bond is how women are relegated to just things, uh, things for James Bond to use, manipulate and to get satisfaction from. We don't really we don't really see that uh, changing until uh, to me anyway, ironically, is Octopussy because um, why am I forgetting the main character's name? Uh, what's her name? Because that movie is terrible. It, it's horrible. Yeah, it is horrible. But she at least has some kind of control and agency. And mm-hmm. that makes her different from all the other Bond women that came before. Uh, and, of course, it changes a lot more when Daniel Craig comes because he's manipulated by women. Uh, so there's that kind of role reversal, even though there's still a strong streak of masculinity with Daniel Craig. Uh, but I think one one thing that we, we should discuss is the changing role of masculinity in James Bond from to to now. And it changes with the times. Uh, Sean Connery was like, oh, man. Yeah. Even even James Bond himself, like he's super hairy in the beginning, like nothing but Mm -hmm. hair. And then you move on to Roger Moore and it's more like, you know, I'm a a pretty boy and I'm I'm here to, to like, you know, bed all the women. So it goes that way. Pierce Brosnan has a little bit of that. And then, of course, it it changes once again. Uh, So I think, if anything, that's something that's worthy to focus on, like the the changing role of masculinity from the start. Right, and I I don't think that it's, like, there's a lot of flaws with Bond, and it is not this, like, beaming icon of feminine power. I I wasn't trying to portray it that way. but, um, (laughs) But I think its role in society makes it important and therefore good even if the character and portrayal are flawed because it shows a progression and it it brings in the public eye in a very well-known franchise um issues that need to be addressed in the way that like it, it just puts in people's face what's being seen and it continues to progress and evolve with society i think and it's not perfect and he's sexy yeah. and beautiful and so are the women and <laughs> to be quite honest i don't think I mean, it's part of one of the things that I really love about it and and love about the work that I do is that there shouldn't be shame in being sexy and beautiful if that's what you choose for your life. And and if that is the case, then like, I don't think there's shame in, in using, if by choice, your sexiness to get state secrets, right? Like, Oh, no, yeah, I mean... I know this puts me in the in the line of fire for a lot of feminists, and and I understand the things that I'm saying are going to be a bit controversial for some people, but I I really strongly believe that if we like, I think that it is women who should be empowered to be strong and sexy as well as men, and there are from the very beginning of Bond hints of that in the in the female characters that I think inspired us to a certain point to fulfill that in ourselves. Like sure we didn't, I never enjoyed the way that the women could be treated and used, but I also did enjoy seeing strong independent women who didn't need men to be successful. Does that make sense? Like, I get you. And I I agree. I I agree with you in in the world of, of spies. You, you use what you have. Like, if right. you're going to use your your feminine wiles to get some idiot to spill st- state secrets, and yeah, you do that. When I was in college, I was convinced I was going to be in the CIA. 
Like it really, <laughs> really, that's, that's all I wanted to do was be in the CIA. And there was this very real part of me that was like, I would be great at it because I look like a 20 year old, innocent, blonde Mormon woman who has no business being a spy. And like, I'd be the last person people would suspect. And, and I knew that. And I knew that I could use that to be like really efficient at being a double agent. Like <laughs> I'm a little too obsessed with the Bond movies. I get it. But when it comes down to being able to be good at things, I was like, no one suspects me of lying because they all think I'm a horrible liar. And so I could use that. <laughs> I could be very, I blend in. I'm so forgettable. That's it's unreal. I can go to the same restaurant every week for 15 years and I walk in and they're like, Oh, is this your first time? <laughs> it's like, yes, I know. I have like, there's nothing memorable about me unless you get to know me. And so it would be very easy for me to just blend in and, and be able to then also turn on sex appeal and use that to like accomplish things. So I, the, I'm not trying by any means to say that these movies are, are good or perfect for women, but I feel like there is a part of them that really inspired a strength in me that I don't think I would have had otherwise. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's really interesting. And it's one of the things I'm, I'm interested in the, the new movie in no time to die, where we know that Lashana Lynch is playing a new double O agent who has taken over the double O seven slot because bond has kind of retired. Um, but you know, the a really interesting article that came out earlier this week, an interview uh, with, with the broccoli family who uh, they are the family who has owned the film rights to bond since forever. And they've always kept it very close to them and they've Wait, held shut on up. to them. Their name is broccoli. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you guys, I am Bond. My nickname, my entire life has been Broccoli. And Are you my... serious? Yes. <laughs> Ew, this goes deep. Sorry, yeah. I didn't this, mean to This goes really deep. <laughs> this yeah. is getting, it's getting too real. So, Brooke Broccoli, uh, you are officially a, a member of the <laughs> Broccoli, Broccoli family. Brooke Broccoli, 007. But an interview with Barbara Broccoli, and they, they asked her, you know, uh, can the next James Bond be female? And she said, no, absolutely not. Nope. Bond Bond is British. And so Bond can be any race because, uh, you know, there are, there are people from all racial backgrounds who are British. But Bond is a man. Uh, and women should have other characters that, that are not James Bond to look up to. We shouldn't just rewrite James Bond to be like, Oh, it's James Bond, but a girl. And, and Mark and I were talking about this and this is actually one of the conversations that said like, Oh my gosh, we need to do a podcast about all of this. Um, so I don't know, Mark, what, tell us about your feelings on that. I, I agree with Barbara that. Broccoli a million percent. Um, and, and I'm not coming at this from like a patriarchal point of view or, you know, super masculine about who Bond should be. I, we're going to leave that aside. For me, as always, it's been the story, the narrative. That's what's important to me. And I'm going to preface another show that we had an argument about, uh, and that's Doctor Who. 
And the mm -hmm. question was, why doesn't the doctor ever regenerate into a woman? When we had this discussion, I said, well, it's because, you know, he, he was born a male Time Lord. And it was never made apparent that Time Lords can change their sex. So I said, he, the dude needs to stay a man, you know, because that's what he was born. But it wasn't until uh, Mr. Moffat uh, changed the narrative with an additional uh, Time Lord character that changed his sex on his regeneration, where I said, okay, you know, now the story allows for a change in sex, and I'm cool with this, which happened, mm -hmm. and that was cool. But that is a sci-fi world. This is a character that comes from the real world, and in the real world, we, we, we I mean, we can surgically change our sex, but, I mean, it, it, you're born with what you're born with, and James Bond was he's a dude so yeah but he you don't have any problems with him like never aging well yeah I, I i i do uh which is why his story has been you know rebooted a couple of times uh daniel craig is what the third incarnation of james bond right uh, in in no in terms of no. narrative oh okay well uh, well yeah yeah but... like that's the third incarnation uh of where they ha they had to reboot his story yeah, I mean, the aging part, okay, it's problematic. Uh, but in terms of who this person was, we're talking about James Bond, the person. We can't just change it to Jane Bond at, you know, at, at any second. It, it just, it can't be done. I, I don't see how it would make sense right. for me anyway. And I think I I agree with you. And, and I also agree with Barbara Broccoli, the idea that we don't just need to gender swap, you know, major franchise characters and then call it good. Uh, like we had uh, a kick-ass spy movie starring a female 007 yes. essentially, and it was called Atomic Blonde and it kicked ass. Yes. <laughs> and we need more Lorraine Broughton stories. Bring me all of those sequels right now. Um, and, and it's one of the reasons why I, I, I'm looking forward to Lashana Lynch in in this role as 007 because it's like, oh, cool. We're going to get another 00 agent who is different and we can do that. Like we almost had a Jinx spinoff with Halle Berry. Bring me that. Bring me other people in this universe who are different. And I think that male identity is as intrinsic to James Bond as a character as African identity is to T'Challa in Black Panther. And when something is so, so much part of who your character is, we can't just say, oh, that, that could be gender swapped. As magnanimous as that sounds, it's like, no, you know, some people... Some characters just are inherently male or female, and I I agree that makes me sound a little bit retrogressive, even though I'm I'm pretty progressive on it's, most of this stuff. Um, that's so interesting to me because I have a really hard time, like with things that I really truly love and care about. I have a really hard time with changes happening, right? So like, if all of a sudden. Princess Leia were Prince Lee instead. Like, I, don't know, <laughs> I, I would, that's obviously going the wrong direction, but that I couldn't deal with that. Um, uh, recently, a movie came out 
based on like one of my all-time favorite books and they changed the race of the main characters and that was really hard for me not because the race was an issue for me but just because of the way that I had oh, I gotta know which one this is. read and loved the stories and the, the way that they were written. And so, um, but in the end, like I accepted it, like there, there are different things like Dr. Who that, which you brought up. I had no problem with there being a female doctor with bond. Like <laughs> it would truly, because there's been so many changes and it's just been this like progressive story. That's, spun off from what the books were and there's been different reboots of it like I just simply truly wouldn't have a problem with there being a female bond like maybe that's because I want to be the female bond I don't know but um it just when I look at it and I look at the progressive nature of the stories and the way that they have gone sure I love the idea of there being more to the atomic bomb and to there being other storylines that continue to progress. Um, I think there could be a female bond and it wouldn't bother me at all, which is something that traditionally would have bothered me. But for some reason with this, like I would love it. I think it'd be Let me ask you this. And I want, I want to hear what, what you think. Um, Doesn't it, doesn't gender swapping just for the sake of gender swapping, and, and sometimes it works because it worked in Battlestar Galactica. I'll, I'll give it that. But doesn't gender swapping, for the sake of gender swapping, kind of cheapen things a bit? And I'm gonna, bring, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Right. I, I, I absolutely agree with you. Like, if it was just to be like, okay, uh, we've got to keep all the feminists happy, and let's get a woman bond in there to show that we are progressive and moving along. Like, sure, that would, like whatever. That would be stupid. Um, I just. <laughs> there's been so much movement with this franchise and the way that things have grown that I don't feel like it would be doing that. Like you're not going to switch who bond is just to placate people. Um, I think you could do it and have it be really strong and have it be really awesome. I get you. And I, I respect that. However, it's already been made canon in a movie where James Bond, the character is an orphan and the government targeted orphans at a time to create these individuals uh, to work for the state. So, so there's no female. Orphans? No, yeah, uh, but it, the origin story of James Bond, the person, has already been put on film, and that's what would bother me. I had a hard enough time with a blonde James Bond when Daniel Craig first came up, when it was announced. <laughs> yeah, when, when, it was, when it was announced that, that dude was going to be G- the next James Bond, I'm like, ah, shit, they're going to screw everything up like oh god a blonde james bond why and it honestly now he's my favorite james bond um because because i think he's put in the work and he deserves that title uh, I, I, I think it, we're gonna have that argument soon but yep. I, I had a hard enough time dealing with that change because it didn't fit the narrative that had been presented so i do far. like so if you, i do like the idea of introducing another agent and having yes i love that his, too. or her like her story coming up and maybe even replacing the man who never ages like i i i hear what you're saying in that i don't think a a woman could be james 
Bond, but I think that James Bond himself could retire and um, be replaced with a very strong female and the franchise could go on through, through a woman. Not that he would need to be made into a woman. Right. That, and that's sort of what I'm saying is like, bring on the Lashana Lynch movies. Like, well, I mean, I'm saying like as a hypothetical, I mean, I obviously haven't seen what they're doing with No Time to Die, but knowing that I have enjoyed Lashana Lynch's work in other films and uh, that I enjoy Phoebe Waller-Bridge writing for general things and know that she has worked a lot on the No Time to Die uh, script. I'm like, bring me into that universe. Like, I think that there is a way to do bond with a very like strong female energy and with strong female characters and um, do that in a way that is not James Bond. And, and um, it should be noted that Phoebe Waller-Bridge is decidedly anti-female James Bond. Yeah. We, we, again, which is so interesting that, you know, uh, which is why I think that this, this debate is so interesting and it. It's why I sort of got convinced by this. I'm like, yeah, I get it. That there is a sort of maleness to this character, the way that there isn't, you know, it's not saying a double O agent has to be female. Not at all. Um, but the essence of James Bond, I think there's a little bit too much of the goddamn patriarchy in him. <laughs> and uh and and that's okay because he is a yeah, commentary on masculinity and patriarchy. And right. and that's why I think it it makes sense. What I want to avoid, I want to avoid another Ghostbusters situation where they basically just gender swap because you have female Egon, female Winston. And like, I, I think it sucked out a lot of the soul of that movie that could have been great, but it felt like they were parroting certain characteristics of the, the male counterparts of the movies that came before, which is why people thought it so much. Like I, I thought it was a good movie. I didn't think it was great, but I think it could have been great. But the problem with just, gender swapping and parroting characteristics just it it fell flat you know that was the big problem with that movie and i would hate to have a repeat of that with the james bond series i i, I don't think you need to do that and like Bro barbara broccoli said you know women deserve more than that they're a lot more interesting than just swapping genders uh, i, I really hope lashana's uh lashana lynch's character really takes off yeah I, I hope she doesn't die in the movie. I hope we don't come back and say, hey, <laughs> that one character we were talking about, we can't make a series out of her. But uh, right. I really hope she knocks it out of the park. And I'm with you, Andy. If she is as compelling as I think she's going to be, let's have a series on her. Let's have her have her own her own thing, create her own universe. Uh, like right. Black Widow's about to do. And I have high hopes for that. Because I would yeah. love to, for her to have her own couple of movies. Yeah. And again, this is what makes it so hard is because since this is about franchises, Bond, there is going to be a 26th Bond. It really doesn't matter. No Time to Die could be a flop at the box office. And there will be a reboot of Bond at some point. It is inevitable. What is crazy is that it isn't inevitable that we're going to get 
and Atomic Blonde 2, or uh, the movie that I think everybody is asking for, uh, Atomic Blonde versus John Wick. I mean, oh. I think everybody wants to <laughs> yes. see that movie, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. All so, blood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, but it, it, that's not inevitable, which is which is really unfortunate, and um, it's so hard to make a new character out of whole cloth and bring them into the a cinematic world and then say, and we're going to keep doing this, even though the easiest thing in the world nowadays is to make a sequel. Um, and it, it sucks that we don't get the opportunities for there to be more Lorraine Broughton's because there are more James Bonds. And I think that's, you know, you know, th- this is sort of the Martin Scorsese argument about about Marvel, which I think really has more to do with the business practices and more to do with Disney than it does to do with his actual problems with um, with comic book movies. And I don't mean to relitigate that, but I just want to say that, like, uh, Scorsese's problems with, you know, uh, Disney crowding out the the theater so that uh you know you can't get more original kind of mid-range uh original films is absolutely true and that sucks um so we get more franchises well these are the franchises we got let's uh i guess see what we can do we're probably not going to have a female james bond um I don't know, Halle Berry's jinx. <laughs> like we could can we still make that happen? Like I I'd be I'd be game, maybe, even though Die Another Day is also in my lowest tier of Bond movies. Yeah, but I was about to say, like, whoa. Yeah. That was pretty uh, but, bad. But it's funny because I, I liked that character and I liked Halle Berry in that movie. Um, but yeah. Anyway. Uh do we want to talk about our favorite bonds? I think we- yeah, uh, are we are we at that point? Let's talk about top three because I think if we go through, I mean, we have to narrow it down a bit. I think because that, that's a long conversation. Well, no, I mean, I don't, I don't think we need to go in depth. But okay, yeah, if you if you want to do if you want to do top three, I can I can rank mine, and and this is sort of a before and after. Is I think you know this is where we're starting at. We're going to go through all the movies and then when we're all done, we'll all get back together and we'll compare notes and see if, if, you know, something has changed. Sounds good. So, um, uh, anybody want to start or, or should I just start? Go ahead and start. Okay. Um, I'm going to go from worst to first, uh, at the bottom of the list, Roger Moore. Uh, then after that, um, sorry, Brosnan. Uh, I feel so bad about that. Um, yeah, I know. Uh, then, then, um, I'm going to give Dalton and Connery a tie, That's which I think is, Have you is seen heresy. Movies? Oh God. Then Lazenby is my number two. Just curious. And Daniel Craig's my number one. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm a very controversial take on how I rank the bonds. Okay, I okay. I, hate, I think I hate your your list worse than some of the worst bonds. Go ahead, movies. Mark. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, okay. So let let's hear it from from you two. Who wants to go next? Oh, all right. Um, okay. Uh, ranking uh, bonds for me, the absolute worst bond is uh, Laz- uh not Lazenby Shaw. Oh, sorry, sorry, uh, Dalton. I hated the Dalton movies, I, and I think I'll always hate them. There's not much I like about them. Uh, and then um, I'll have to say it's Pierce Brosnan and then Roger Moore because that's the bond I grew up with, and I fully recognize how campy his movies were. Um, and then this is where it gets interesting because the top three is where I struggle the most because I love all three actors almost equally. But I will have to say it's Lazenby 3, Connery 2, Craig 1, as of right now. And that's my list. Okay. Okay, Brooke, tell us why we're wrong. What's your list? Well, I mean, you're wrong because you're men. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's the why. Uh, My list, I have a hard time with the bottom two. And I just, it's not that I don't like them. I just don't love them as much. Can I just say that? I feel bad putting anyone at the bottom of this list. I I also, uh, I should have prefaced mine with saying the same thing. I, I just right. don't like Timothy Dalton. I do. Um, not as a person, but as an actor for the Bond movies. Yeah. I, I, I go back and forth between Roger Moore and Timothy Dalton at the bottom. The way that I originally wrote the list had Roger Moore at the bo- bottom and then Timothy Dalton. I really, it would depend on the hour that you asked me and what I was thinking about. Um, I'm sorry, boys. I like Pierce Brosnan. I do too. I do too. He was my he's, first Bond. He's so charming. Um, so I would say more Dalton, Brosnan, Lazenby, Craig, and then Connery. Ooh, still got Connery on top. All right. He is. He can be on top of <laughs> The day is mine. <laughs> I mean, there, there, anyone who knows me knows that I have a thing for older men, and it is 100% because of Sean Connery. Like, I can't... There, He is number one. He's... He's Bond. He was always Bond. Yeah. It's, it's so hot. So that's my list. More Dalton Brosnan, yeah. Lazenby, yeah. Craig. No, and I think that's that is fair. I, so for me, like uh, the reason I like Daniel Craig so much is that he played Bond as the person, not the character. Uh, Sean Connery, and, and you know, he was the embodiment right. of Bond, right? But there is depth to what Daniel uh, Craig brings to the screen. That's why I like him so much. I w- and I say I would like to preface real quickly that even though the comments that I made was about how charming they were or been being handsome, I don't like them because of their looks. Like <laughs> I realize there may be people listening to this who have no other context of me as a human besides this one podcast. And I want you to know, like there, I feel like the depth of the characters, the way that they embody the bond himself and the their and the other leads and the the women like 
it should put Sean Connery lower because of the You don't things, like but... me for my looks, Brooke. <laughs> Oh, I, I do not just your looks that was really good <laughs> i might need a clip of that i'm um, cock of the walk, cock of the walk. Yeah. <laughs> so i didn't i don't want to i don't want it being viewed as me just liking them because of how handsome they are i just wanted to preface that yeah, but they are handsome though that, i mean they are handsome we can't deny this look no like look i mean it's unfair how yeah. handsome these bastards are like uh, look if I, I qualify this. If we're talking about the Kinsey scale, I am like maybe a 0.5, but pretty close to a zero in terms of <laughs> like, I'm not interested. I find a lot I'm of not interested in men really, but damn, these are some good looking men. I, I wouldn't mind being little spoon to any of these guys. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I am very secure in my masculinity enough to admit when a man's good looking. You know yeah. what? These dudes are freaking hot, man. And it's unfair. I can get it. It's so unfair yeah. how beautiful these people are. Like, yeah. But yeah, and then they're, they're, they're good looking. But yeah. like they each brought a little something. Uh, even Timothy Dalton. I, I think Timothy Dalton brought Bond back to its roots. Which I I can appreciate that uh, on his two movies, but I, I think it went a little too dark, and maybe that's why I rebelled against him so much, because uh, he went from high camp Bond that Roger Moore gave us to this dark Bond to where maybe it should have always been, but there was too much of a transition there, and there's nothing to soften that blow. Um, but but he brought something to to the game. Uh, and so it appears Brosnan, he brought, he brought a little bit of sensibility to James Bond. And, and then now we have Daniel Craig, who brought a lot of that angst and anger and that was explained in his films uh, that was necessary for this, the new origin story of Bond. So, yeah, they each brought something. It's not just their looks. But, I mean, yeah, these are just handsome people, man. And and I think I am ranking more for the films than the actors yes. themselves. And and the problem is Daniel Craig, uh, apart from Lazenby, is really the only person who has ever been able to give Bond a character arc. Yes. Where Bond changes uh, at all. And Lazenby is able to do it in one film yes. because On Her Majesty's Secret Service is the only film other than maybe Casino Royale where you put Bond through those paces. And um, Craig has the extended runway where he's then been able to have several follow-up films where we see how he's haunted by what's happened in the past. You don't get the sense that you know, what happened in From Russia with Love really changed Bond in Goldfinger or Thunderball. And, you know, and and so and they're just serialized, which was, you know, the point of Bond at that time, which I get. And and so, you know, that's sort of where my my ranking comes from. And and it's probably also why um I give Dalton a little bit higher. Um, my problem with Dalton is I think he made one of the five best Bond movies 
and he made one of the five worst. <laughs> and uh, that, and I, I think actually License to Kill. Well, okay, let's let's just go into our top three and bottom three films. Um, uh, since since I'm right there anyway. Okay. Um, my my bottom three, uh, are, um, in in order: third worst, Octopussy. Second, Living Daylights, or no, sorry, not Living Daylights, uh, License to Kill, and Worst is Die Another Day. Um, so I, I just hate that film. Um, uh, my, my top three, um, third favorite on Her Majesty's Secret Service, which I just talked about, second, Casino Royale, which I also just talked about, and number one, Skyfall, mm-hmm. um, which I think is the ultimate sort of bond character movie and um when we get to it we'll talk about uh how much i love sam mendes as a director and roger deakins as a cinematographer and what makes all that work for me but i love it i love it i love it three worst as to the worst for me i agree with you die another day i don't like that movie at all Mm -hmm. um even though there was elements that I really liked about this movie. I, I will rank it as second worst. It would have to be Moonraker. And then uh, the third from the bottom would be, my God, that's so difficult. Uh, a View to a Kill. I would go with View to a Kill. Top three at number three is Her Majesty's Secret Service. Um, this is such a strong film. I really like it. it that's going to be one that we're going to have a lot of conversation on, I think, because of what I think it means for masculinity at the time uh, and why it failed. Uh, but that's one of my favorite movies. Um, second favorite is going to be uh, Casino Royale. And my all-time favorite up to now is going to be Skyfall. I adore that movie. We have the same top three, Mark. Pretty, yeah, pretty that's much. Awesome. Yeah, we have the same top three. Yeah. Where does Brookland? Hmm. It's really hard for me. Um, I think my least favorite, which is fun, because did both of you put License to Kill in the bottom? I didn't, uh, but Andy did. No, no, not no, just me. No, no, it was just you. Yeah. Just me. It's just you. Hmm. Uh, close really close like tie, though, with Moonraker. Um, I agree with Mark. That, that was just yeah, shy out of my bottom three. I think I've got Moonraker as my bottom, and then Die Another Day. And then uh, it gets a little iffy there with pretty much anything else from the 70s. But I think I'm going to go with... Mm. You kind of have to throw Octopussy in the bottom just because. Just for so many mm-hmm. reasons. But I can't, I can't really... <laughs> Because Roger Moore literally wears clown I mean, shoes in that movie. <laughs> that movie is literal clown shoes. Yes, so and I liked it yeah. as a kid. Um, you would. No, I'm my, just kidding. Well, there were other things happening on the my screen. Top three, if I'm going from the bottom, like number three um, to number one, I'm going to go Casino Royale. And then Majesty's Secret Service, and then Skyfall. But like, I want to know like that's if I'm being objective about the movies. Like my favorite 
my number one favorite is Dr. No. It's always going to be. Okay. Oh, yeah. all right. I, no, that's good. Yeah, well. No, tell us your favorite. Do, like, okay, so we, we all agree that, like, those are the top three if we're trying to be, like, critical and serious. Right. Like, What's your favorite? My favorite then? is Dr. No. It's so good. It's so charming. Yeah? I, I like the way that he sticks to the books. I like the way that um, – and maybe it's because of the book that it just holds this space for me. But when we're getting into, like, our favorite Bond women, which I know we haven't yet, um, but Honey Rider just holds this space for me that keeps Dr. No in my, my favorite. I love yeah. Dr. No. I love Dr. No so much. Uh, because when I was a kid, I thought that is what a spy is supposed to be. Um, I mean, later on, you're, when I gr- started growing up and, you know, wanting explosions and all that, I expected spies to be equipped with everything under the sun. And especially once a Q starts going with his, all his gadgets, you know, you know, my vision of the spy changed. But when I was a kid, he was the spy I wanted to be like, you knew just enough martial arts to knock somebody out and, and struggle doing it. You weren't like some superhero uh, and you barely escaped. Uh, you know, there was some, a sense of real danger with everything that you were doing, uh, but you were competent. And plus who didn't try the hair trick? Um, you guys remember that from Dr. No, where he pulls a, a strand of his hair and he, he, you know, uses his spit to place it on doors to figure out if anybody is messing with your stuff. Oh, yeah. Okay, it was yeah. like, who didn't try that as a kid? Like, those are real simple, simple things that even back in the day spies were doing. And that's why I love Dr. No so much. Yeah, I really like the humanity of it. Like, yeah. It's not about all the the gadgets and tricks. I just, I like, I like Dr. Yeah, no. I do too. I, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, it's it's crazy to think, you know, between how much changed between like the aesthetics of Dr. No to like only five films later and you only live twice. And it's like, yeah, we're in a volcano and there's (laughs) tons of ninjas. And it's like, whoa, okay. Yeah, it got ridiculous fast. Yeah, it got it got ridiculous pretty quick. So Um, but. You know, Brooke talking about Honey Rider. Let's let's go ahead and talk about our our favorite women in the Bond franchise. Do you oh, do you God. want to start or should should I? I'll go start. Ahead? Okay. My favorite women. You had said top five when we were doing top three, so I don't know how many women you want, but how many is too sexist? <laughs> <laughs> so, Pussy Galore is my favorite. Um, huh. I know. <laughs> really? Okay. She's okay. the only lesbian. All right. Yeah. And she's awesome. And she does hook up with him at the end and then leaves him before the next. But like, she just is her own person. And I really, really, really like the way that she is portrayed. And the, the, the fact that they like honored that part of her character and m- I know there's nothing perfect about any of these characters. Like, I feel like I have to keep apologizing for liking the movies <laughs> and liking the people <laughs> that I like. like. I do. I constantly feel this need to apologize for it, but um, I do know that she hooks up with him at the end. Um, 
being a person whose sexuality has been fluid, like that doesn't dishonor anything to me or for me in my life personally. And so I just, I hold a really big high space for her. Um, my second favorite is Honey Rider. And then um, my third is going to be um, Pam from License to Kill. I, I just like them. Those are, those are the ones that have always, I like that she kissed him first and that um, it was brought up. She was like, well, you didn't kiss me. Like, so I did it. Like, <laughs> there you go. And that's, that's all there is to it. Um, and then if, if we're going to five, I'm going to go with M and Moneypenny. Like, I know they're not the Bond women, but I love them. I love their characters. I love them as women. I love everything about them. No, I agree. In fact, that's that's sort of that's somewhat similar to how how mine um, goes out. Um, my number one is the Countess Tracy, uh, yes. Diana Rigg. Yes, um, she is my number one with a bullet of all time. She's the best. Um, I think she she is Bond's equal in every way. She has an inner life and agency that a lot of other um, especially in later Bond films, uh, the women don't have. Um, and and similar to that, my number two is Vesper Lind, uh, Eva Green in uh, Casino Royale for, for very much the same reasons. Um, uh, my third um, is that my it's my first Bond movie. This was still very formative to me, but Xenia on a top... Famke Jansen has always had a very special place in my heart. Um, and especially as I keep going back to the franchise and I see how she is intended to subvert so many of the, the tropes of the Bond franchise. Um, it was very 90s. Um, but, you know, I just I also really love Famke Jansen. Um Four is Anya Amasova from The Spy Who Loved Me, uh, Barbara Bach. My number five is, I don't know, like a nine-way tie between a bunch of other people, uh, including Michelle Yeoh, who doesn't get anywhere near enough plays. So if I had to choose, a number five would be like M and, and Money Penny to go on there too. So. Yeah. I, uh, my top two are going to be the same as Andy's. Uh, my top of all time is going to be the Contessa Teresa de Vincenzo, uh, Tracy, uh, for a for the exact same reasons that uh, Andy just said, but because she's also one of the most tragic characters in the James Bond universe. Like it really hurt what happened at the end. Well, I mean, it's not a spoiler at this point, but when yeah, spoiler <laughs> alert, <laughs> <laughs> you had fifty years to watch this, people. Um, right. But like, well, her death was just so damn tragic, and because it, what happened there grounded James Bond so much. It, it showed him vulnerable, like you've never seen him before. And I honestly, to my dying day, am gonna believe that is the reason that movie didn't resonate as much, and why George Lazenby only got the one movie shot. Because I guarantee you, like frail male eagles were like. You know, James Bond can't be that way. He's he's supposed to not give a crap about women. He can't be crying over women. He and, can't cry at the he, end. Yeah, there's That's no not... crying in James Bond. 
yeah. and, and I, I firmly believe that's the reason we only got one uh, Lazenby Bond movie, and it's such a freaking tragedy because he was such a great Bond, uh, and yep. he brought that vulnerability, which is strange because that dude was as patriarchal as they come in real life. Like yep. he, he was just a rough and tough dude, uh, but her character I think is one of the most important female characters in the James Bond world. And then of course there's Vespa Lind who I just adore uh, another tragic figure. Why am I picking only tragic figures? That's weird. Maybe that says something about me, but uh, I, I love her character, but three for number for me, number three would be uh, M and J, uh, Dame uh, Judy Dench. Uh, she brought so much gravitas to the Bond movies when uh, Daniel Craig came on board, um, there's just, she was necessary. Uh, and, and what happens to her character as well as tragic, but I loved everything about her. And I think she was uh, instrumental in what happens to the character of James Bond. So those are my top three. Uh, uh, number four, this is where it gets difficult because Jesus Christ. They, I mean, they just don't do much with the female characters in James Bond other than have them there as objects, which is kind of sad. Uh, it just just a mishmash of of characters for number four and five. So I'll just keep it to the top three. Those are my three favorite. Yeah. One one th- other thought I had when, when thinking about, you know, the difference between, you know, Bond crying over Tracy at the at the end of On Her Majesty's Secret Service versus, you know, after Vesper dies, you see Bond compartmentalizing yeah. and lying to himself. Yep. And he says so coldly, bitch is dead, job's done. Yep. And you're like, holy shit. Like you, and and it's such an amazing piece of acting on Daniel Craig's yes. part where he says it, but you know, it, he is dead. It, it's killing inside. him. Yeah, it, it's killing him. Yep. Oh, and, and so good. Um, I like <laughs> maybe I'm revealing too much, but there's a lot of me in that scene where I'm like, oh, yeah, I think I've spoken to someone about this problem. It, it's so real because uh, a lot of us don't want to deal with the emotion of what has just happened in our life. And we just ball it up and crush it and say, you know, screw it. You know, life goes on. Let's move on when it really doesn't. And if you don't deal with it, you know, you know, other things happen. And I saw that in his acting, in his eyes, in his demeanor. When he says that line, you're like, you feel like screaming, you're a lion sack of shit. Uh, but th- th- that, and that's what Daniel Craig brings to that role. And that's why I love him so much as James Bond. And I'm going to miss the hell out of him. It's interesting to me to listen to you guys talk about like your favorite women and for the reasons for which I chose mine were a lot less critical. Like when I picked the, my favorite and least favorite movies, it was more um, critic based, but the reasons that I picked the women that I picked is truly like emotional attachment from my childhood. Um, and so that's really, it's just interesting to I like, I really enjoy the critical mindset in which you guys use to pick who, 
who your favorites were and as opposed to like which one had the best bikini. I, I just wanted to give you guys props for that. <laughs> um, yeah, if, I, I if I'd like been going off like, that, I would have been like, I would have been like plenty of tool, please. Table one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really, I really liked listening to you guys say who you chose and why. Um, I also, um, one of the things that I found to be very interesting for me growing up because um I mean, life growing up was not easy for me um, for a lot of different reasons, but uh, I constantly hear from women around me and um, people around me how little representation there is of women and how there aren't any strong female characters and how we need to be having all these different um, opportunities and things available for representation. And I'm not going to debate that any of that is misleading or isn't needed because it obviously is. Um, but a conversation that I've often gotten into with people is that it didn't matter what I was watching, whether it was James Bond or um, a Disney movie or the books that I was reading, like Wrinkle in Time or even like James and the Giant Peach and Charlotte's Web and like the strong female characters were always there to me and always available to me. Uh, there's obviously like a lot of flaws in the female characters, especially in Bond movies and the way that they were portrayed and the way that um, women were represented. But none of that, and maybe that's, I don't know what to make of it, but it just isn't something that played into it for me. Like it wasn't something that ever really held me down emotionally or mentally and I always found the strength of the characters to be what I attached myself to and what made them so endearing to me regardless of all the other things that their characters were going through and I it's that's something I would like to discuss further with with people is the female characters and the the lack of female representation that everyone has felt was not something I ever really felt growing up you mentioned being very like critical. I'll also admit uh, that as, as I think about who my favorites are, um, it's, it's a little bit, you know, hashtag problematic um, because one of the big hallmarks of the bond franchise is how much women are an adjunct to the male character uh, or the girlfriend prize at the end or whatever. And and most women in Bond films fit into either uh, the femme fatale who, you know, might try and kill you, um, the innocent who ends up dying at the beginning, uh, or, you know, the prize at the end. And um, what what's tragic and, and really telling is, you know, we talked about M and Vesper and Tracy as, you know, these characters with agency and who are Bond's equals, but all three of them end up dying tragically. And they're, they're essentially fridged. Um, you know, there, there are more instances of women in refrigerators of, you know, doing it almost in furtherance of giving Bond you know, an edge or, or something else to do. And that's 
kind of terrible um, and, and and tragic. It is it is a problem, and I'm not gonna like pretend there aren't. You know, I think one of the other things that's interesting about the Bond franchise is it is probably the most problematic franchise. <laughs> but but that's what's interesting is to talk about it. Right. And I think that maybe part of them being refrigerated at the end is part of why I don't have as much of an attachment to them. I don't know. I don't I I would be interested in exploring my deeper psychological thoughts on that, but um I I think that there it's obviously very problematic. I think if we had yeah. this conversation 10 plus years ago, I would have started the conversation with the hottest Bond girls. That, yep. That's how I would have started this conversation. I'm not going to lie about it. I'm not going to be a hypocrite. You know, that's just the way it oh, was. Yeah, same. I, I think James Bond represents my journey in life. Uh, my, my, journey of masculinity in life when i was younger i used to get the i used to get such a kick out of saying pussy galore because this is the only way i could get away with using the word pussy um and, and that that's what i was exposed to as a kid you know that you know we, we were supposed to be looking at those things and commenting on those things uh not that it's right i'm not saying any of that was right but that's what we were exposed to so like James Bond, I've had to reprogram myself along the years to the point where I'm at now, where I don't I don't need a conversation about James Bond, just mainly on the Bond girls, because for the longest time, that's what it was. And, you know, I'm not lying. Um, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's still a gazillion websites that dedicate themselves just to the Bond girls. You know, James Bond be damned. Um, so I, I think it really is interesting to see the evolution of James Bond uh, from as much as we love him, but the toxic masculinity of Sean Connery to the vulnerability of Daniel Craig. Uh, it's really fascinating to see how that has gone along, but it's been, it's, it's been decades in the making and my James Bond, I'm still a work in progress. I still got to work on things, but I, I am now at a point where I, I want to fully understand the texture of the characters, including uh, the female characters, not just James Bond. I, I really want to fully feel who they are, what they bring. Again, I feel like I should apologize to everyone for the things right. that I like about this franchise. No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry if I've been a disappointment to women everywhere. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> no, I, I think I think that this entire podcast is going to be us apologizing for why we like some of the, <laughs> the aesthetics of this. I mean, like, come on, like... I, we were talking about Dr. No and how formative it was, but the number one aesthetic that that sticks out from that movie is Ursula Andress coming out of the water in that white bikini. And like that's one of those moments that for better or for worse, like sort of set up what sexuality in movies was for over a decade. That was like immediately. It's like and that's it. Jinx actually copies that. Yeah, you know, exactly. In her movie. You know, there's a direct copy of that. That that's direct. how iconic that's how iconic that scene that character is. And yeah. can I just well, mention I think- that I hate that Mongo Tree song? <laughs> <laughs> I just absolutely hate it. Same. I all well uh, 
okay that that brings us to that brings us to i think a good time to talk about the music of bond ah. and the you know one of the things that's so interesting about dr no is unlike uh, basically all of the rest of the films it starts not with an iconic theme song but the the calypso trio doing three blind mice tree like blind what? mice tree what? blind mice <laughs> what what is this what is this that i'm into so but let's let's go ahead let's talk about do we have a a top 3 bottom 3 uh, favorite on songs um for me uh well I'll, i might keep a placeholder in here for the upcoming billy eilish song who knows what that's going to be but i'm betting it's going to be pretty good uh my number one's going to be adele skyfall uh two aha the living daylights and three garbage the world is not enough um my bottom three third worst lulu the man with the golden gun great movie terrible song uh, number two, Rita Coolidge, all time high, terrible movie, terrible song. And number one, another terrible movie, another terrible song. Don't put your girlfriend in your movies, Guy Ritchie, Madonna, die another day. <laughs> oh my God, this is so hard. You know what? To, to me, there are two singers that just embody James Bond. Shirley Bassey and Adele. Uh, th- yep. Those two are just, Correct. they are, they, they are everything about James. I could forget every other singer and every other uh, James Bond song and just have these two. And you know, that's all I need. But if I had to rank them uh, one, two, and three, it would have to be um, Skyfall is number one. Goldfinger is number two for me. And the Living Daylights is number three. Goldfinger. Goldfinger is right out of there. Because it's so good, yeah. right? Yeah. It's just, he's such a cold finger. An <laughs> um, honorable mention for your eyes only. I, I know it's not great, but like I said, this was the James Bond of my youth. And that song was just all over the place when I was a kid. And um, Sheena Easton. Yeah, Sheena oh, Easton. So good. So good. Um, I like that song a lot. Bottom. I do not like. I can't wait for that episode because that movie. You hate it that much. I I hate it so much, but it is the most fun to talk about because <laughs> it is so weird. It's so weird, and it's got a great theme song. So that's one of the weirdest things about it. Uh, worst, worst, worst. Uh, yeah, Madonna takes. She's just not, no, don't need that. Die another day. Uh uh-uh. uh, no, sir. Um, God, my God, I can't think of any other worse song than that. Uh, but the Man with the Golden Gun by Lulu is going to be ranked just right above Madonna, I guess. And, mm-hmm. um, I, I think that's all I can think of. Everything else is just okay. Um, but yeah, that my top three are solid. You know, I, I'll stick with those. Maybe Thunderball by Tom Jones. I'm not too crazy, but like Tom Jones is just has too much energy for me, man. Like the dude needs to just chill the hell out. Uh, now, here, here's what's interesting, you know, because you mentioned Shirley Bassey. Yeah, I know what you're going to say. And she did 
two of the best songs, but she yes. also did the that Moonraker song. <laughs> There's just so much wrong with Moonraker, man, including the song. Like a moon. Like a moon. <laughs> oh, I love you, Shirley Bassey, but that song is boring. Yeah, it's horrible. Anyway, Brooke, do you do you have opinions on songs? I do. Um, sorry, hold on a second. I my top three Adele is, with Skyfall is the number one. There's just I think I'll agree on that. Um, number two, I think would be tied between <sighs> Goldfinger. And the world is not enough with garbage. Like, yay, more garbage love. <laughs> yay. Yeah. I love garbage. Like, oh my gosh, she's going on tour with Alanis Morrison. Yes, they're coming to San Antonio. Mm-hmm. Again. Yep. Uh, that's fair. Um, and then number three below that would be um, For Your Eyes Only, Is She and Ethan. Uh, as far as like the worst songs, I also think we can all be on Madonna. Um, and then I would probably do. Thunderball, Tom Jones, and then the man with the golden gun, Lulu. I agree. Yeah. And I, I think that's where I would put And I don't mean to hate on Madonna. And what's so what's so funny is, you know, not like three, four years earlier, she made one of the best movie theme songs about another gentleman spy, Beautiful Stranger, for the Austin Powers, the Spy Who Shagged Me soundtrack. <laughs> I love that song. I love that song. I love Madonna. I love pretty much everything she does, Mm -hmm. but I don't know what happened with this whole like Veronica electronica thing that sort of went off the rails. Whatever it was, it was bad. Um, I, yeah. Die another day was not Not good, but, but I love beautiful stranger. And it, it sounds like a great, like, 60s spy theme song. I, I don't know. I uh, preferred Mike Myers' BBC song. Uh, that's that is BBC a good song one. too. BBC two. <laughs> I, the we'll, I, okay. So one of the things I want to do it, during this is like we're going to talk about Bond. We're going to talk about the the fake Bonds. We already started talking about how Never Say Never Again is actually not an official James Bond movie. We'll, we'll get into that. Um, there, there are some other like rogue James Bond movies out there, like the 1967 Woody Allen, Peter Sellers, Casino Royale, um, which I think we'll have to talk about. Um, but I think we have to talk about some other movies that are obviously very like clear responses to, to James Bond. Um, we might have to take an episode to talk about Austin Powers. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what people think. Um, Mark and I were talking. I think we definitely need to talk about In Like yep. Flint. Because um, that is very definitely a response to. Let's do one of these too. It's it's the same thing. And, <laughs> and no, and no yeah, I didn't. It's very, it's very interesting. Like how they tried to make the same thing work and it didn't really um uh, but uh, austin powers is just such an interesting take on that because they're like oh yeah it's a campy spy movie but we're going full comedy on it and um yeah 
Anyway, uh, okay. I think the last thing, uh, the last thing I have, let's talk about our favorite Bond villains and henchmen. Um, I will go first. The number one enemy of James Bond is time. <laughs> Every single one of these guys has aged in the role and not well. Time is the enemy of us all. Death comes for all of us. Um, time is the number one villain to all James Bond actors. Uh, number two, Blofeld in his many different incarnations. Uh, number three, Raul Silva from oh, Skyfall. Yes. Uh, number four, Le Chiffre uh, from, from Casino Royale. And number five, a very underrated, and I can't wait until we get to this movie because I think it is so important and yet maybe not pulled off very well. Tomorrow never dies. Jonathan Carver. Uh, I definitely want to talk about um, mm. the idea of Rupert Murdoch ruling the world through the media um, or uh, maybe um, Mark Zuckerberg would be a better uh, update of, of that. So, Anyway, uh, those are those are my top five um, favorite villains and henchmen. Uh, top top five. This is another difficult difficult one. I will have to say because of his consistent presence throughout, Blofeld has to be number one uh, to me, and uh, then Raul Silva because of the absolute consequence that he brings to the James Bond world. Um, we lose uh, M because of him, uh, but he was just so brilliantly played by Javier Bardem. Uh, and, and like I said, the consequence he brings to that world is just so perfect. And then uh, Le Chiffre, uh, God, was he awesome. That scene where he's torturing uh, Daniel Craig is just absolutely brilliant. Like I felt the real danger there. Um, and how cold uh, uh, Mads Mikkelsen looked when he was in the process of torturing just just made the whole thing happen. So those are my top three. Um, fourth, and I'm going to go into Henchman because I really liked him as a kid, is going to be Jaws. And I understand how super campy and stupid he is, but I just really liked him as, as a character. Um, and number five, because of like how evil this guy seems to be and who he ends up being at the end, Mr. White. Yeah, Jaws would have been my Jaws would have been my number five if I hadn't done the cop out of time. <laughs> you went abstract one. on this so, man. <laughs> I'm I'm I did. I went maybe too abstract. Uh I, I I don't really like the Jaws movies. I like the idea of this guy who keeps coming yeah. back even though he's kind of stupid. And I love um, that actor. We'll have to. He's just he's just yeah. cool. Even I, I oh, and I, he falls in love. And his <laughs> his and his weird end in Moonraker, which I just don't. Oh my god, that's that's so weird. But oh, anyway, we'll get to that when we get to Jaws. I I have to agree with you. There's a lot of reasons they're not great. But Brooke, do you have favorite villains? 
I don't, I don't have really strong feelings about them. Um, Le Chef was, would be my top. I don't have a lot of input on this one, except that um, I do like Jaws because it, it's like the one that sticks with you for your whole life. And uh, Ernst Stavrol. Yeah, not, not a whole lot of, I, I enjoy the way the stories unfold. Yeah. Nope. Fair, fair enough answer. Dr. Julius No. Dr. No, of course. Iconic. Right? Yep. Gotta throw him in there. Just he's just creepy. Yep. Well he's the <laughs> he's the original. And uh Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, cool. Um well any any sort of last final thoughts on on the the entire oeuvre of Bond before we before we wrap all this up. My my thing is He's, he already has had the same longevity as Doctor Who, and that Doctor Who is in the British psyche. Uh, anywhere you go in England, everybody knows who Doctor Who is, what it's about. And same thing about James Bond. Um, Doctor Who has only begun to transfer over here in the States, whereas James Bond is a heavy presence here in the States as well. Will that longevity continue is my question. Who's going to be the next James Bond? Are they going to have a, bring the same gravitas that Daniel Craig did? Uh, are they going to go with a cutesy face or somebody who, who can really act? Or is there a guy who's good looking and can act? Like, uh, what's his name? The Highlander, Sam, whatever his name is, who was rumored to be the next Bond. These are all questions that, you know, I'm, I'm dying to be, to have answered. Um, and, and, I want to continue watching James Bond movies when I'm older. So I hope it does continue. Yeah. And I think that, uh, I like what you were saying about continuing the gravitas of what Daniel Craig has brought to the series. I know that I have, um, a lot of sentimental reasons for liking the older movies and, um, being attached to some of those characters for what they are, but the thing that makes this this franchise relevant and the way that we can stay with it and have it not just be this horrible exploitation of things that shouldn't be happening is that it continues to evolve and progress. Um, Bond continues to grow and to develop as a character and a person. And I think that that's something that I feel is really important, especially like in our political reality right now. Like one of the reasons why I liked Hillary Clinton is because she challenged herself. She challenged her beliefs. She challenged the way that she viewed things and people can call it flip flopping or not holding strong to values or whatever it is. But really what I saw in her as a woman was someone who grew up with a certain set of ideals and opinions that were kind of given to her. And she took those and evolved them and became a champion for things that needed to happen. And um, I felt that that gave her great credit. And I, I felt the same thing happening with this, character and this franchise and its development and so i hope to see that to see that continue do you think bernie sanders likes bond <laughs> do you think bernie sanders has ever watched a bond movie bond drives him crazy probably <laughs> yeah i don't it's even sexist. know like, still i don't like it in this the government's already of, we don't need people running around with guns bernie sanders 
<laughs> James Bond being in the same sentence makes me feel really <laughs> uncomfortable inside. James Bond is an agent of the one percent, and no. <laughs> okay, uh, okay. So uh, a couple, a couple little factoids to um, end end our way out here. According to uh, according to the folks at Box Office Mojo, um, which this is looking at their Box Office Mojo Pro IMDb Pro site. So if these numbers are wrong. Write your angry letters to Jeff Bezos, who owns IMDb Pro and uh, and Box Office Mojo. These are their numbers, not mine, but this is this is what they are telling me. Bond as a franchise is the number six franchise mm. of all time, um, behind uh, Star Wars, Marvel, Harry Potter, um, a couple of others, um, but. Uh, if what I'm interested in looking at are um, are films by their uh, box office total adjusted for inflation. So box office adjusted for inflation, the number one movie of all time is. Does anyone know this? Brooke, do you know this? I don't think I do. It is Gone no with way. the Wind. Oh, yeah. Gone with the Wind. I do know if that. Gone with the Wind. Yeah, if Gone with the Wind had been released today, uh, it would have made $1.8 billion. <laughs> so um, that's pretty that crazy. That is crazy. Uh, Star Wars, Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, not far behind it at uh, what would be basically $1.6 billion. Uh, the Sound of Music, E.T., Titanic, The Ten Commandments, Jaws, Dr. Zhivago, The Exorcist, Snow White and The Force Awakens is at yes. number 11. Um, so uh, Avengers Endgame number 16. Um, where do you think the first Bond movie falls? And what Bond movie do you think it is? You are never going to get this. This is so fascinating. Repeat that question. Where, where If you were going to guess, if I kept going down the list of top adjusted for inflation grosses where do you think the the first bond movie would fall if you say never say never again i'm just gonna freak it is okay. not never say never um, again don't worry uh just for shits and giggles i'm gonna say octopussy think, uh no but good where but where do you think it, it is do you think it's top 50 top i would say top 25 interesting uh, Okay, I would say top 50. Okay. Coming in at number 32. Oh. Number number 30 is Jurassic World, number 31, Black Panther, and right below it Thunderball. Thunderball. Really? I love Thunderball. <laughs> Thunderball if it were released what? today would have made $667.9 million domestic I love in Thunderball. the U.S. Awesome. box office. Thunderball number 32. And uh, let's see, at number 48, Goldfinger. Goldfinger. Uh, Goldfinger. So, so the Connery, Connery still has a lock on the inflation-adjusted um, – 
Bond movies. You know, uh, Skyfall was a big hit. Um, uh, Spectre was a was a fairly big hit. Uh, those films have all done very well at the box office and very well internationally, um, but uh, can't can't compete with Connery and inflation adjusted. So I just thought that was interesting as I was, as I was looking this up. So um, bonds, a big moneymaker, but the biggest moneymakers were, you know, we're still back in the day with, with old, uh, with with pussy galore. So there we go. Um, There we go. Uh, Yeah. So I, what we're going to do, we're going to start with Dr. No next week. And uh, we're just going to go movie by movie. And as we get to certain inflection points, I think we'll we'll layer in some of the outside franchise uh, films. And we hope to bring on uh, other guests for all of these. I, I hope that Brooke and Mark, you can join me for each of these. But we'll oh, yeah. sort of see with, with all of our schedules. Um I would really like that because when it, when we get into the actual movies themselves, I sound a lot more like informed and less. I, I you can cut this part out, but I'm feeling a little uh, ashamed of my I reasoning. Don't, I don't think you sound. I don't think you sound. I would love to join you guys for further episodes I, I and talk about them indiv- individually because there's so much to each of the movies and the character development that I would really like to get into instead of just like snippets of my tops. No, I, I, I hear that. And, and it's one of the reasons why I think you would especially be great at those. Um, but I didn't want to save you for Dr. No, because I wanted to have you here at the beginning. (laughs) Um, No, I appreciate it. I appreciate being here for the beginning. And I do like giving my overview. Like a lot of my reasonings are sentimental for what they meant to me as a kid. And, and the, I guess for lack of better terms, like the hope of what it, it let me see women as being able to be, which was sexual and strong. And I really liked that. Right. So, right. So, okay. So, so Dr. No next week. uh, And hopefully this will be like a little kind of like a book club. Um, You can go find a copy of Dr. No. It, I believe it is streaming on, um, on one of the, I I need to look this up where you can find it streaming. I have all the, I have all the, all the, all of them on DVD. So I can just pull them out, but um, yeah. Uh, But follow along with us and we'll be back to talk Dr. No uh, next week. Um, But uh, until that, we hope you have a uh, shaken and not stirred week (laughs) and uh, we'll see you next time. (laughs) See you next time. Thank you, that will be all. God damn it! That's not all! Because if one of those things gets down here, then that will be all. Then all this, this bullshit that you think is so important, you can just kiss all that goodbye. I admit today that I have gathered you here under false... <laughs> it wouldn't It wouldn't be a start without me. You have to be stroking a kitty. I think that's the... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you need the pinky oh, ring. That's what did right, it. Exactly. Okay.